We are going to do a, uh, as part of our spiritual warfare series, we've been doing uh, video testimonies from time to time, and uh, we're going to do one today. There are demons that are set to keep us from God. There are demons that are set to do nothing but to frustrate the maturing process. There's no other grand scheme that they have but to do those two things. Joe grew up in Missouri. He attended church as a boy, but never had a relationship with Christ. Even when he was young, Joe could sense a spiritual battle brewing around him. I used to love riding my bike, and there was a bike path that, that ran along the uh, ditch. And I remember riding it from my friend's house, and I just really felt this, this, uh, this presence of, of light on one side of me and a presence of darkness on the other side. And I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and was like, well, whichever one of you gets me first can have me. Joe had few friends. He also never knew his birth father. The loneliness and fear he felt as a child would lead him down a dark path. The biggest thing I was looking for back then would be relationships. Um, it was a, the piece of my life I felt was missing. When his mother and stepfather separated, Joe began to fill the void in his life with alcohol and eventually the occult. He started experimenting with a Ouija board, which opened doors that would not be easily closed. We had some very powerful experiences then, and I just felt this something extra in me, and I knew that, that something was different. And uh, I remember walking down the street that night, and the cats were in the, in the yard, and they would just start hissing. And Later, as an adult, Joe met three demons. The demons had really started, started uh, making themselves uh, very known to me at that time. There was three of them. One was... Uh, a manipulator and she and it took on the the female persona one the other was a tormentor and he took on the male uh, persona and then the other one was the mastermind every night i would meet with them and, and they would just fill me with with this knowledge of of the kingdom of darkness and and how they operate it was one of those moments that look if you'll just let us teach you then we'll give you everything you want joe says the demons began prodding him to harass christians they began to put me into situations where, you know, you'd have good-hearted Christian people, uh, evangelists out, you know, preaching in the streets. I would engage them in conversation, and nine times out of ten, they would be outside with me 30 minutes later smoking a cigarette, questioning their faith. That was a big thing to me, to be able to unhinge a believer. One evening, Joe says his demons told him to go and disrupt a church service. They told me to mock God in his own house, and this was exciting for me. And so we go to this little tiny storefront church. As I was walking into the doors, those three handlers had to stand outside the door. It wasn't that they, they, didn't, they didn't want to go in, it was that they couldn't go in. That night, the war for Joe's soul intensified. The singer began to sing about uh, taking the children back from the devil, and, and I got infuriated. I mean, it just was just boiling inside of me, and, and I was wanting to explode and to tell her, man, leave the children alone, they're mine. Eventually, the pastor gave an altar call. This lady comes to me and asks me if I wanted to accept Jesus into my heart. And I told her, lady, you're, you're a woman of God, and I've got, I don't want nothing from you because you got nothing I want. I don't have any clue how I got there, but I was at the altar. For almost 45 minutes, they were just casting these demons out of me all over the sanctuary. And so all I could think about was, man, the devil's going to kill me. You know, they're waiting for me right outside. And this sweet old lady was patting me on the back. And she's like, oh, you're going to be okay, son. It'll be all right. Don't worry. 
Joe says although he accepted Christ that night, he didn't surrender his heart. He broke those strongholds off of me, but there was still that, that, that broken heart that he wanted to heal. I remember looking back as I was getting into the car at those three handlers and just the hate that was they were filled with and, and the darkness that and it was all just directed to me and I knew that it was on, you know, I knew that they were coming for me. Over the next nine months, he went on a drug and alcohol binge, trying to run away from God. I was so willing to run back into the darkness of trying to get high enough and trying to get drunk enough and trying to do enough crazy things to get this influence of light away from me. He was arrested for robbing convenience stores and sent to jail. He became involved in a prison gang and was even planning to kill a man to prove himself. But then... November 16th of 2002, I sat on a park bench overlooking the prison yard. Another gentleman that I had been uh, uh, in several violent altercations with had come and, and uh, he just asked me some questions. At that point, Joe was faced with the many bad choices he had made in life. God used him to speak his truth in my heart, to, to tell me that, man, I have a better path for you. And I decided, you know what, whatever you have for me, if you can get me out of this moment, then if you have something better than my, my plan, then I'm willing to do it. And so I got off that park bench that day and, and started walking towards God and never looked back. Joe says he now realizes how God used his time in jail to speak to him. That I had to be in prison because I had to be in a place where I could not escape and I could not control. Because with the world, I could get lost and I could run and run. I know what it means for David when he said, I make my bed in hell and lo, you are with me. You know, because when I ran back out into the world, he was still there and he was still wanting to love me. Before he was released, Joe entered a 12-step program and with God's help, was freed from substance abuse and the demons that tormented him for so many years. God was constantly showing me that he is so much more powerful than any of these things and that Jesus came to set us free from those things, that those things do not have to have the, the reign in our lives that we give it. Upon his release, Joe got a job working with troubled youth at a ranch in Arkansas. He also pastors a small church and ministers to those who struggle with demonic influences in their lives. Jesus says that we can know God as God knows us. Man, I want to know how many hairs is on his head. I want intimacy with Christ and with, with the Father. You know, there's a lost and dying world out there that needs to know that he loves us. And he's more powerful than any darkness that could ever overtake you. His grace and his mercy, his compassion for you is greater than any sin. Amen. Uh, yeah, we've been working through a series on spiritual warfare. Uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, part two of the armor of, of God. So, uh, Holy Spirit, we pray uh, that you would speak into our lives uh, this morning, uh, that you would guide us, that you would uh, yeah, just do what you need to do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. This is our passage. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so again, this is language of battle. Uh, we are in a battle. Uh, whether you like it or not, 
uh, there is a spiritual battle going on. And it talks here about against uh, spiritual forces of evil. That there are various evil spiritual beings that are wanting to uh, create havoc in your life, to kill, steal, and destroy. And we find ourselves in this battle. Uh, you can try to run from it, you can try to hide from it, but the reality is uh, we are in this battle. Even as followers of Jesus, uh, we find ourselves in the midst of this battle. This is written to Christians, and Paul says, be strong, take your stand. Uh, the devil has schemes, and he's talking about our struggle. Now, we need to, re to remember, as we've talked about, that in this uh, battle that we are in, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from a position of victory. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. He has won the victory, and we are fighting from victory, not for victory. Uh, in Colossians, we've looked at this text. It says, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of illegal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he's talking about evil spiritual beings, he's disarmed them because you're forgiven. If you're in Christ, you're clean. Uh, your guilt is gone. There is no condemnation. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That Jesus has won the day. He has won the battle. It's already, uh, victory is ours. You might say, well, why is this battle still going on? And, and maybe the best way to look at it is like uh, in the Second World War D-Day. Uh, when uh, the Allies landed on the beach, they knew victory was theirs. But they still had to fight in order until it was complete. And this is what Jesus did. He brought us victory on the cross, but there's still this battle we have to fight until the new heavens and the new earth. But we're fighting from a place of victory. We know uh, that we have power over the enemy. For one, we know that Jesus uh, came to them, the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. And because we are his, we are under his authority. Not the authority of the evil one, but under uh, his authority. And because we are followers of Jesus, Jesus gave us authority. Uh, he says to us, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And he's talking about how he has given us power over evil spiritual beings. And so again, as we talk through this, is, it, this isn't a thing that we should ever be afraid of. Uh, we should be afraid of evil spiritual beings because Jesus has all authority and we're his children and he has given us authority. And so we need to stand. This is what Paul is saying in this text. Uh, to be victorious in this battle, uh, put on your armor. Therefore, because of this battle, put on the armor, the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm. Uh, we are to put on the armor. If we are not clothed in the armor of God, so we've talked about uh, there are times when we, uh, the only authority that Satan can have over us is that which we give him. If you don't give Satan any authority, he can't, he can't touch you. But it's through footholds that he can gain access to our lives. And so Paul says, if you don't want that to happen, put on the armor of God. And this is an action statement. We actually have to put it on and we have to keep it on. Uh, to never let our guard down. Because there are times when we can put down the armor of God. And that's when we're vulnerable to, uh, to evil spirits. 
So he goes on and says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, and, and he's basically using the picture of a Roman soldier. Paul was actually in prison uh, when he penned this letter. And he was actually chained to a Roman guard 24-7. Uh, and so as he's writing this, he's looking at the soldier and picturing the soldier. And he's saying, they fight physical battles, but we fight spiritual battles. And he takes the picture of a Roman soldier and lays out armor uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, and so on. And again, this is, this is spiritual armor. As 2 Corinthians 10 says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. This is armor and weaponry that is used in these spiritual battles that we face. The spiritual battle that is so real that Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and these evil spiritual beings. It's a very real battle. And again, sometimes in our Western world, we kind of ignore that part. But I tell you, until you encounter it or until you realize it, you begin to realize how real this is. So he says, put on the armor and then you're going to be able to take your stand. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at three pieces of armor. We looked at the, the belt of truth, uh, which is Jesus. Truth is primarily a person. And Satan fights us with lies, and the only way we can pick out a lie is to know the truth. And when we know Jesus and we know his word, when Satan throws lies at us, we can tell if it's truth or a lie because of what Jesus says. And so we buckle ourselves with the truth of Jesus, and then we have the breastplate of righteousness. This is the righteousness that Jesus gives us. Satan is the accuser, always trying to make you feel uh, full of shame and to make you feel guilty and to pull you away from God and to tell you you're such a horrible, awful person. But we have the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that through Jesus, God looks at us and sees us holy and blameless. He looks at us as though uh, th that our sin is washed away, that there is no condemnation. And so when Satan tries to throw these bits of shame at us, you messed up this week, we have this breastplate that says, nope. I'm forgiven, and I'm clean. And now we have the shoes of, of, of the gospel, that we always have uh, the shoes of peace on. That one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and salvation is peace. And just as in the storm, uh, Jesus was sleeping on the boat in the midst of the chaos, so too, uh, because he had the shoes of peace on, so too, when, when things are going crazy around us, we never take our shoes of peace off. We have to walk through troubled ground. We have to walk through uh, bumpy terrain. But we always have this insulator between us and the terrain. That is the, the shoes of peace. Don't ever, ever, ever let your peace leave you. Yeah, carry that well. Keep that on. So we, we don't take off the belt of truth. We don't take off uh, the breastplate of righteousness. We don't take off the shoes. And then there's three more things that we're going to look at today that we are not to put down. And the first one is the shield of faith. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And uh, those shields that they held were big. They're basically almost two feet by four feet. And so if a flaming arrow came at you, it was big enough. You could totally hide behind it and not get hit. You'd totally be protected. 
And what the enemy would do, they would actually make their arrows, uh, dip them in, in sap or oil to make them flaming, hoping to burn that shield down when it hit. But uh, the Romans began to coat it in leather and soak that leather in water. So even the flaming arrows couldn't do anything to them. And this is to be us. We are always, always, always to be behind our shield of faith so that no matter what Satan is throwing at us, it, it can't touch us because we got our shield of faith. And the flaming arrows, again, are those attacks he throws at us. Those random thoughts we have that don't line up with the kingdom, that temptation to, uh, uh, to, to gossip or that temptation to be unloving. Uh, again, he's always throwing those flaming arrows at us in, in, in primarily four areas we've talked about this. He wants you to uh, believe a lie about who God is. Throws an arrow, God doesn't really love you, God doesn't really care for you. He wants us to believe lies about others. That person over there, they hate you. That person looked at you funny because they think you're horrible because he wants to break relationship. He wants to get us to believe lies about ourselves, that I can't do it, that I'm unable. Even with Jesus, I'm hopeless. And he wants to get us to believe lies about our circumstance. God can't help you in the circumstance. It's hopeless. And so they're always, uh, uh, evil spirits always throwing these arrows at us. And so he says, let's stand behind that shield so they can't touch us. And the shield is faith. This is uh, understanding uh, uh, who we are in Christ. Now again, I want to point this out because I think I've mentioned this a few times, but it's important. Satan will throw a flaming arrow and often it will be a thought that enters our mind. I mean, you might be in worship, just focused on Jesus and all of a sudden this wacky thought comes in your mind like, where did that come from? Maybe Satan wanting to distract you from focusing on Jesus. Uh, but he'll throw thoughts in your mind. Not all the thoughts in your head are yours. They, they might be God's. They might be yours. But they also might be the enemy. And just because you have an evil thought in your mind does not necessarily mean you're in sin. And sometimes Satan wants to push this on people. He'll say, well, you have an evil thought. You're such a horrible person. How could you think that? And the reality is that Satan is the one who put that thought in there. And then he tries to accuse you. And it's all his mess, not, not yours. Just because you have an evil thought doesn't mean you're a sin. It might just be, it's temptation. Now, if you act on that thought, you begin to engage that thought, then that becomes sin. But an evil thought is not sin. In fact, uh, Jesus, it says, talking about Jesus, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And you can guarantee that Satan threw evil thoughts into Jesus' mind. You know, a pretty woman walked by or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, but he didn't sin. Uh, because you take those thoughts, and we've talked about, this is all kind of review. Uh, uh, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. As soon as we have a thought in our mind that doesn't line up with the kingdom, we take it captive and we make it obedient to Christ. This is putting up the shield of faith. He throws an arrow. He wants to get you to believe a lie about God or about another person. He throws it at you. You put up your shield of faith and say, that's not a kingdom thought. It's not touching me. Again, we cannot afford to have a thought in our mind that doesn't line up with the kingdom. You need to just begin to realize to quickly put up the shield every time you get a thought that's not kingdom and just keep that shield up so they don't uh, grab hold of you. Now, it's funny how often we actually have faith, more faith, talking about the shield of faith, that we actually have more faith in sometimes what Satan is saying to us than we do what God is saying to us. And we say, oh, I, I trust God 100%, but it's, it's funny how often we can have faith in what Satan is saying to us 
We allow that flaming arrow to enter, and we trust what he is saying more than what God is saying. And here's just some examples. Uh, there may be a flaming arrow that comes at you that says, God doesn't love you deeply. And it's funny how I even find Christians who believe this. You know, God loves me mostly, but he kind of has to put up with me, you know. Uh, and they're having more faith in what Satan says than what Jesus is saying. And we got to put up that shield and say, nope, that doesn't line up with the truth. I got my belt of truth, and that's not going to have any power over me. The truth is, you're a dearly loved child. Uh, there may be a flaming arrow that comes at you uh, that, that says God is shaming you because of what you did. Look at what you did this week. Look how you engaged in those thoughts too much. God is shaming you. Satan throws this arrow at you. And again, it's, some, it's funny how some Christians have more faith in what Satan is saying, yeah, God is shaming me, I'm a horrible person, than the truth. <laughs> the truth is, the one who trusts in Jesus will never be put to shame because you have the breastplate of righteousness on and you're holy in his, his eyes. Again, we need to have faith in what God says, not in what the enemy says. There may be a flaming arrow that says, God won't forgive that sin, it's too dark. It's just too deep, it's too horrible, you hurt too many people, God will never forgive that sin. That, that's a lie. The truth is, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not just some, but all unrighteousness. Again, who do you have faith in? Uh, who are you believing right now? Are you believing those flaming arrows? Now we put up the shield of faith and we, we believe what the, the belt of truth is, is saying, the truth of the word of God. There may be a flaming arrow that says you have no purpose, you can't do anything right. But the truth is, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, you have a purpose. It's probably different than everybody else's, but we're not to compare, we're not to try to be someone else, we're trying to be the person that God made us to be. Uh, there may be a flaming arrow that says you're not holy enough to go into God's presence. You had a bad week. You better stay away. You better not go to church. Uh, you're, you're unholy. But if you're a child of God, again, we're forgiven. And Hebrews 4, 4 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you're a, a follower of Jesus, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence because uh, because of what Jesus has done. All right, a few more. Uh, there may be a flaming arrow that says, you are no use to the church. You should just stay home. But the truth is, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That The Spirit is manifesting something in your life that is to bless other people. Everyone is needed in the church. Uh, there may be a flaming arrow that says, God is not fully good. But the truth is, God is fully good. Uh, there may be a flaming arrow that says, God won't bless you even if you seek him. Uh, the truth is, when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you as well. That God blesses you when you seek him. When you take time to worship him here on Sunday morning, when you're seeking first the kingdom of God, uh, you got to believe that God is going to bless you. I mean, you may not know how, but when you seek him, you are blessed. When you draw near to God, he draws near uh, to you. Don't believe those flaming arrows. You, it might be a flaming arrow that comes at you and says, your life and your situation is a waste. You wasted all those years. Uh, you're a waste. Truth is, 
We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And so this is the shield of faith, that whenever flaming arrows come, getting us trying to get us to believe a lie about God, about ourselves, about others, about our situations, man, we just stand in the truth and say, that is not kingdom. That's not having power over me. Because if you let those thoughts in and you begin to dwell on them, that is when you open up a foothold to evil spirits, and they can work in you and, and put you in bondage through uh, some of those, those thoughts. Next is the helmet of salvation. And they had metal helmets, they had leather helmets with uh, bits of metal sewed in them, uh, but this is the helmet of salvation. In, in other words, you put on this helmet means that you think saved. It just When you're walking through this, you just got to think saved. Uh, you got to understand you're a child of God. No matter where you are, what you're doing, what situation you're in, you keep that helmet on, meaning you always think saved. You always think and know that you are a child uh, of God. This is important, and uh, a lot of uh, theologians will notice, uh, will point out, the idea of the helmet of salvation is, is thinking that you're saved in the sense of assurance of salvation. The most theologians will talk about how this is talking about the assurance of salvation, that is, that you just know that you're saved. That you know you are right with Jesus, even if you had a bad week because Jesus is so amazing. That you know you're saved. That this is what it's speaking about. And this is really, really important in spiritual warfare. Dr. Sam Storm said this, in every instance of serious and sustained demonic attack that I have encountered, the individual was plagued with doubt concerning his or her salvation. In other words, one of the attacks Satan will use on you, say, look what you did this week, you're not really saved. If you have that thought, you couldn't really be a Christian, and maybe that Satan's the one who actually put that thought on you, and then he says, well, you're not really a Christian, it's all him. <laughs> I mean, he wants you to get you to doubt your salvation. If he can get you to doubt your salvation, you will never walk in your authority. You're like, well, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not, so I don't know if I have authority or not. I don't know if I really have a spiritual gift or not. And, and you'll just kind of live this weak Christian life. But when you understand that I am a child of God, and I have authority with Christ, and I'm seated with Him in the heavenly realms, I think you walk differently. You think saved. I love what uh, Thomas Brooks, this comes from uh, 1660, a long time ago. Such is Satan's envy and enmity against a Christian's joy and comfort that he cannot but act to the utmost of his strength to keep poor souls in doubt and darkness. Satan knows that assurance, and he's talking about the assurance of salvation. Satan knows that assurance is a pearl of such price that will make the soul happy forever. He knows that assurance makes a Christian's wilderness to be a paradise. He knows that assurance begets in Christians the most noble and generous spirits. He knows that assurance is that which will make men strong to do exploits, to shake his tottering kingdom about his ears. And therefore, he is very studious and industrious to keep souls off from assurance. And if you know you're a child of God, you just walk differently. In all your situations, if you just think saved, you walk differently than if you're like, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I don't, have, I don't know if I have power over sin. I'm, you just walk differently. To put on the helmet of salvation is just to, it's just, to, I, I'm saved. And I'm going to walk like a child of God. I'm going to walk in the authority he has given me. And I'm going to make a difference in this world and make his kingdom. Uh, I'm going to grow his kingdom. So the question is, 
And I tell you, we could do a whole sermon on this, but uh, you might be wondering here, well, am I saved? Because I doubt my salvation sometimes. And again, this is a big topic, but let's look at some scripture. Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. How do you believe in Jesus? How do you believe in him? Uh, then you're saved, it says in Romans 16. Uh, Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, if you confess Jesus, like, I love Jesus, he's awesome, and you believe it in your heart, that deep down you just know that I love Jesus, and I know he's the truth. Uh, you're, it says you're saved. Uh, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, you're saved. Uh, Revelation 3, uh, it's talking about this is Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat, uh, and eat with him and he with me. In other words, Jesus is knocking at our hearts. I want into your life. I want to transform your life. I want to do something so amazing in your life that you couldn't even believe it. And if you're like, yeah, I want that. If you've opened the door, uh, it says he's going to be eaten with you. You're a Christian. If you've opened the door of your heart to Jesus and said, yeah, I want you in my life, uh, then you're saved. Ephesians 2. And you might be saying, well, that sounds too easy. That's, uh, what about all these things I got to do? Romans, Ephesians 2. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, it's a gift. It's a free gift. Well, it costs them everything, but it's a free gift to us. We don't have to do anything. If you're like, well, I'm saved because I do all these things, and uh, you've missed the point. It's grace. But the thing is, when you've received, received grace, it changes you. When God moves in your life, it changes you. I was hungry this morning. I ate some oatmeal, and that oatmeal changed me. How much more when God moves in your life? I mean, when God moves in your life, you're changed. So have you seen God change you? Uh, have you seen him at work in you? Uh, Romans uh, says this, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Uh, you're not a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. This is how you know you're saved. If, if you just find yourself calling out to Jesus, oh, Jesus, I need help today. Uh, Jesus, uh, would you step in? Jesus, I love you. Your heart is just calling out to him. Uh, it's a gift. But if you're not sure you're saved, I would really highly encourage you to talk to me. I talk to a member on the prayer team. Grab someone else here. Because you, if you doubt your salvation, you will not walk the way Jesus wants you to walk. You're to think saved in all your circumstances and to walk in the authority of Jesus. All right, last one is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All the other armor is defensive. It's the only piece of armor that's actually offensive, to attack. All the other is to protect us. This one weapon he has given us is used for attack. Now, there are actually two weapons because in the next verse he talks about, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We'll talk about that in, in, in January. Uh, but the sword of the Spirit is, is, is one of our primary weapons. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God is our weapon. Just as we tell what uh, lie from a truth by the Word of God, we also take the Word of God and we fight the enemy back. Again, he throws a flaming arrow at you. It says, 
God doesn't really love you fully as a child. He just kind of puts up with you. We take out that sword and say, nope, Ephesians chapter 5 says that I'm a dearly loved child. And you put it in his face and you, you come back at him with the word of God. This is the sword. This is exactly what Jesus did. I mean, we have a whole example of this. The tempter, the evil one, came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he had a shield of faith, the, the armor of God, but he takes out a sword and he says this, it is written. And when you're using the sword, it is most best to speak out loud. Uh, most theologians think Satan cannot read your thoughts. He can put thoughts in, but he cannot read. So if you're just thinking it, it's not that helpful. You got to say it. And he answers him with the truth, with the word of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and he, and he tempts him again, the second temptation. The second time, this is how Jesus resists the temptation. He pulls out a sword and says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then Satan tempts him again. Jesus again pulls out a sword, away from me, Satan, for it is written. He is fighting the enemy with the word of God. And notice what it says, the devil left him. That's what it says in James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We resist him when we pull out our sword, when he keeps attacking you, and you're like, no, I don't believe it, that's not the truth. The truth is this. I mean, if, if you keep fighting back with the sword, he's going to go, well, I'm going to go bug someone else who's got their shield down. <laughs> bug someone else who doesn't have their, their sword out because this is not, I'm not doing anything. Now, there are other translations that say, or the other gospels say, the devil left him, left him till an opportune time. And he will do that. You fight him back with the word of God. He might leave for a while and he'll watch you <laughs> and tells you he sees you're weak because he knows where you're weak just as we know we're weak. It's a good question to ask again. If Satan were to attack me, what area would he attack me in? He waits and when he sees it, he'll jump back in. He'll throw arrows at you and if you're not ready, your shield's not up and your sword's not ready. Uh, so uh, we fight back with the word of God. And one way to do this is to memorize scripture. You gotta have it in your head. If you're walking down Baker Street or you're sitting in your yard uh, building a snowman and Satan throws flaming arrows at you, you can't pull out your sword if you don't know the truth or the word of God to fight back with. The best thing you can do is when you're struggling in an area, maybe it's a character issue, maybe it's a sin issue, maybe it's an area you keep falling into temptation, is to memorize scripture around that area so that when you feel tempted, when Satan throws that area, arrow at you, you quickly have those verses memorized and you say, no. I mean, let's say you struggle with fear. And, and you get afraid very often and, and Satan keeps throwing these arrows at, fe at fear. You just memorize like 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And so whenever you feel afraid, you just have that verse, you take out your sword, and you say, Satan, no, I have not received a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And you take out that sword. But if you don't have that scripture memorized, uh, you don't have any sword to fight with. So memorize scripture. There is a, a, an awesome little app that helps you. I put in your sermon in notes, but it's called Scripture Typer. It actually will help you memorize scripture. And we have lost this a bit because we have our Bible so readily available on our phones and everywhere that we don't memorize Scripture like we used to, but it's really important in spiritual warfare that you have your sword ready. That temptation comes, you can quote those verses, and you push, you resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So memorize Scripture. 
Uh, second, spend time listening to God. And allow others to speak God's word into your life. This is not just talking about the word of God, the Bible. The Greek word is actually rhema, uh, for the word of God, which most often is used of a personalized word from God. Sometimes it can mean the, the written Bible, but most of the time it's a personalized word. If you're struggling with something in your devotions, take out your journal and say, God, what are you saying to me about this? And you just write down what he is saying to you, and you keep that. Maybe you put it on your phone, but you just keep going back to what he says. Again, you fight with, it maybe a word from some. maybe someone gives you a prophecy. Whenever someone speaks prophetically over you, write it down. And keep that with you, because it's the, the word of God that you've, again, you fight back the enemy. So, I mean, he throws arrows at you, saying, no, I had this prophecy over me, and I'm standing in it. So memorize scripture, spend time listening to God, allow others to speak God's word into your life. And lastly, which we're going to do in a second, is worship. Do you know when we worship, we're pulling out the sword? Uh, we are fighting our battles when we are worshiping God, because we're singing the truth. We're singing truths about Jesus. And uh, we've talked about this, we sing to God sometimes, and sometimes we sing to each other because we're fighting this battle with each other. When we sing like, your love never fails. I mean, maybe there's someone here who's just doubting God's love, and we're singing, your love never fails, and you're fighting the, the battle for them. This is why it's really important that you do whatever you can to engage in our times of worship. Even if you just have to close your eyes and just pray, uh, use your imagination to, to picture what you're singing just to engage in it because you're fighting a battle uh, we're going to battle if you're just here and you kind of check out uh, you're not pulling out the sword and so i encourage you to do this at home as well uh, a lot of people like me feel more comfortable and nobody's around but you put on the uh, youtube video of a worship song and you just sing as loud as you can and dance or whatever because it's how we fight our battles is one of the ways is is through worship and through the word and through uh, god speaking to us and so with that, I can call the worship team up. And God, we uh, thank you that you have equipped us with uh, awesome uh, armor. And so God, I pray that today uh, we would think saved. God, that no matter what we're facing today, that we would understand that we are children of God and that we can't be shaken. Uh, God, I thank you that you have given us a sword that we can fight back the enemy. So God, I pray you give us a hunger to memorize your word. Uh, God, that you give us a hunger to especially memorize your word in those areas that we're struggling with so that every time we have that thought, we can fight back with the sword. And God, we, uh, what was the other piece of armor that we talked about? Sword. The shield, yes. <laughs> God, thank you for the shield. And may we stand behind that shield. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything, uh, there's a prayer team over there be happy to pray with you. Uh, if you need healing in your body, uh, if you need uh, just, uh, you're just dealing with something emotionally heavy, or maybe God is just saying, just go for prayer. Uh, maybe you have something to, you want to thank God for. There, people will be happy to pray with you over there, and so make your way over there if you need prayer. Otherwise, let's stand, and let's do battle. Lord,